During the coronavirus crisis and lockdown, Rabbi Katz will be delivering an informal pre-Mincha study session on Zoom every day at 6.50 p.m. If you're interested in joining, please send an email to rabbidkatz at gmail.com indicating that you would like to be added to the Zoom meeting, and you'll then be sent the link to access the Zoom learning session. Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, it's Thursday. I'm going to try to get this out now. I'm on the parsha, uh, so I can hit my Israeli listeners because they're always complaining to me about that. Um, just finished uh, teaching my classes for today. Let me start by saying that today's uh, talk on the uh, parsha is being sponsored by an anonymous person. I won't betray a confidence, someone whose acquaintance I made when I visited Europe, uh, friendship I made when I visited Europe last year. But I don't think I should say any more than that. So I'm thanking um, this person in this way. Uh, appreciate all the sponsorships, as we say. As I uh, mentioned, I think yesterday I sent out, or two days ago, I'm doing, uh, I'm hoping to do a lecture series, not podcast, but with videos and everything for uh, in June. And um, I'm still looking for two sponsors. I have six lectures four of which have been covered. I'm looking for two more sponsors. hope somebody out there will, will um, respond. That would, be good. that would make my life easier uh, and just concentrate on the uh, talks. Uh, and little by little, we're hoping to put everything up. I, I planned these for late June, as I said before. I think, I'm just guessing, I have a feeling that the shows are probably going to open another week or two or something like that. Um... At least that's how it seems over here in Maryland. And uh, this is just a guess. On the other hand, you can be sure that they'll be under these uh, social restrictions. Everybody stay apart from each other. That's what I think. Um, But time will tell. So, uh, without any further ado, I'll get into today's uh, Parsha, which is Emor, which is interesting in in so many ways. I'm a coin, so it's it's super interesting to uh, me. uh, Because here you have all these rules... First of all, a coin can marry, can't marry. That's one thing. And number two, um, number two, uh, the kidashto, which means you have to treat the coin with extra respect. I hold that's the number one mitzvah in the Torah, um, by far. And uh, because of this, we have all kind of interesting stories and rules about how to treat kohanim, not kohanim. My favorite, I just pulled out over here, is in the Sephardish of Mishnah. What's it called? Kavachayim. All this is in Kuf Chavches, in 128 in the, the Orachayim. And the best part I see, I have it highlighted, <laughs> highlighted from earlier years. You know, there's a whole question whether an Amaretz can marry a uh, Baskoin. And even if somebody's not an Amaretz, if you're not a Baskoin, can marry a Baskoin. And this fire, apparently, based on what he says over here, takes this kind of seriously. And he says, Shamati Shanosi Kohenis, Tzarech Lizar Mehod Bechvoda, Behozi Atzlich, Ozi if you marry a Baskoin, you better treat her super extra fancy, schmancy, nice, and be Zahir in her covet. 
and only and then you'll succeed. Um, <laughs> I'm sure my sons-in-law are not listening to this podcast, but I guess I have a vested interest in that particular kavachayim. Anyhow, um, yeah, this week's parsha, um, all sorts of things connected with kohanim. I've been thinking about that. You know, I got to do the Zoom thing every day, like I mentioned the other day. This week, every uh, day, um, doing it seven fifteen probably. Next week, we'll probably move it up to 7.20, 7.30, I don't know, based on the time slots here in Baltimore, Mincha time, more or less. Um, and if you're interested in the times, as I mentioned the other day, just the easiest thing is just go to my show website, which is a Beth Abraham Baltimore, Congregation Beth Abraham Baltimore. They'll give you the latest information. I can't go in. Causes over each time. They have where to hit onto it, and all the rest, all the rest of it. Um, but... Uh, as I said, I was uh, in the Zoom class. I talked about Thomas Kohanim and all of these many interesting uh, types of cases that pop up. Um, as a historian, I'm always interested. One of the things that interests me is the new types of Shilas that pop up in the early modern period, which is the 15, 16, and 1700s. And for some reason, I noticed long ago that in the 15, 16, and 1700s, all of a sudden there's a lot of more discussions about what do you do with Kohanim in various situations. As a Historically, it always interested me. Uh, you know, uh, they had this business with the Panay Yeshua, for example, you know, with the, when, when they lived in ghettos, and therefore it's all one long row house, and the houses may be possibly connected to each other one way, through one thing or another, believe it or not, through the toilets, and uh, if you know the hollows and all that stuff. And it could be, and it was, in the ghettos of old in Europe, somebody died somewhere in one of these buildings, all the quantum had to go out. And what about if the guy dies on Shabbos and he can't do anything about the body? And let's say it's winter, it's raining. You're telling an old coin has to stand out in the rain and freeze to death. They used to do that sort of thing. I'm just saying, it's a whole ton of very interesting questions, Kohanim. And later on, when the conscription comes, I'm hoping to talk about that next month, Jews in wars, when Jews start to get drafted, what about a coin? And famous questions of a coin killed somebody in battle like in the Russian army or something like that, does that make you puzzle because a coin kills somebody usually not at the Duchen? All kinds of, of issues that pop up as a result of today's Parsha because it says Vikidashto, a coin special, and as we all know, there are all these extra um, restrictions a coin can marry a Grusha, a coin can marry a Zona, and a Zona doesn't mean a Zona. Zona has all these uh, very difficult uh, connotations and so forth. Basically, I don't know if people know that, but um, a coin's not allowed to marry anybody, any girl who ever had sex with a guy under any circumstance, even if it was a rape. So uh, uh, that's always been a problem in the, what should I say, Balchuba world, in the Kira world. A lot of Chubas have always uh, done that because here's a boy and a girl, now they want to get married, but they both decided to become from it. Turns out he's a coin. And, you know, uh, and before this, he wasn't from, before that, she wasn't from. So he had his lifestyle. They had her lifestyle. I remember seeing the Sigris Moshe. And, uh, you know, that's a bummer. Now that it became from you, Tom, they can't get married. We, we have all these um, um, sorts of issues. Uh, I would call your attention, because as I'm thinking over here, to uh, uh, just one uh, piece. And that is the very interesting Taz. Kind of famous. And the guy wraps it up, Mamish and a bow is the Archa all this is in the Shulchan Aruch, if you're interested in this sort of business, particularly at the end of 128, because that's the rules of Dochani, Hilch, Nesiz, And all the way, 
at the end of all these rules about duchening, which aren't negated to most people if you're not a coin, all the way at the end, the Ramah says, it's Osir Lehishtamish Bekoin Afil Bismanazeh, Tava Kamoel Behegdish, Imlomochal Akach. Isn't that interesting? You can't, uh, you, you, you can't use, what does he say? You can't use a coin, be Mishtamish with a coin. Which plainly means, you can't ask a coin uh, like, to do you a favor or pick up something for you or any of that sort of thing. And if you do, it's Me'ilo. That's a high language. It's like you, you're violating Hegdish. Me'ilo is a severe sin. Unless the coin is Meichlet, which makes no sense because it's Me'ilo, then the coin can't be Meichlet. And what is the status exactly of quantum nowadays? Because most people don't really follow this. Most people don't say, well, I have a friend who's a coin. You're not going to say, cats, you know, uh, could you uh, pick this book up for me or something like that. Uh, people don't have that sensibility. Now, some do. I have some friends, I have students and others who are sensitive to this. Uh, but they stand out of my mind because, you know, they're sensitive to it. I have a, somebody comes over my house every once in a while. Now he's a rabbi out of town, actually. And, you know, at the table on Friday night, if he comes over, he, he won't ask me to pass something. Like, will you pass this or not? I want to be astonished with a coin. Most people don't have that kind of sensibility. Um, and what's the story with all that? And this plays around with all these rules of Tumas Kohanim and all the rest of it. The most modern application of these sets of problematics is the famous question, which I'm not going to go into now, which is, what's the story with a Kohen who wants to become a doctor and go to medical school? That's all Parshat B'fnei Atzmo. But, uh, you know, I'll, I'll leave that for what, uh, for another time. But uh, it's not the regular question of what's the story with a Kohen nowadays. And... Um, there's a Taz at the end who tells a fascinating story by Rabbeinu Tam at the end of uh, Kof Chavches and he says Bagos Mordechai I guess in Gittin Kos of Maisa Bakon Shiyotzak Mayim Ali Rabbeinu Tam isn't it interesting he had Rabbeinu Tam you know he was and he had many students and one was a coin and the guy was uh, washing his hands meaning I guess he did until she died for him you know it's it's a sign of respect and uh, and Rabbeinu Tam was okay with that. But there was one student, you know, Rabbeinu Tam was a very argumentative type, and he encouraged his students to be argumentative. I'm talking about over here the word argument in the positive sense of intellectual argument. And so the student challenged the Rebbe, Hiksha Talmud Echad, Hashanina B'Yushalmi, HaMishtamish Bakuna HaRizamal. Right? It apparently is a story in Yushalmi, in Brachas, actually, that uh, if you use a coin, uh, and here he's referring to a story where uh, I think Reb Zerah was the uh, one who was serving the other two rabbis, and Reb Zerah was a Kohen. And uh, so the other two guys, he was the two rabbis that Reb Zerah was, you know, helping at a meal, like a butler, were non Kohanim, and he was a Kohen. And apparently Reb Zerah did something wrong. He gave something with the right hand or the left hand, and they start cussing him out. They said, What's wrong with you? I only have one hand. And the father of Zerah says, um, you got a nerve. First of all, you're not treating him right. Second of all, he's a coin. Aren't you ashamed you're committing me'ila? Right? And uh, so, this is an interesting story because the sees these Amorim had no trouble using a coin. Anyway, so Rabbeinu Tom answered back, ain't Kedush Isn't that interesting? That the Kedush's coin doesn't exist anymore. Really? The Kaimalam Big Day Amalem Kedush Alem below. Which literally means that's from a Gemara somewhere. 
that it's in Svachim actually that uh, you know a coin only has the din of a coin when he's wearing the big dick coin in Beis Hamikdash, and if he's not, then he, he's not a coin. Really, really, <laughs> is that true? You only have a din of Kohanim and all the stuff we say. You can't make a grusha and you get the trum and all the other stuff only when you're wearing the uniform. I'm like, where does that come from? And the student challenged him. In King, call me So the student said, "If that's right, then why does anybody give any kind of respect to any coin nowadays? He's not. There's nobody's a magician. You're obviously not wearing the big dikuna. You're out of uniform, and you know, Rabbeinu Tom, that we all treat Kohanim special. Well, you give him a, a first aliyah. I mean, you know, you know that the Shah Rabbeinu Tom, which is a rare. Rabbeinu <laughs> Tom usually was not a loss for words, and here he was, he was silent, which would seem." The push-up shot is he busted him. The Haitian Rabbeinu Peter, but one of the other students of Rabbeinu Tom was around, a Rabbeinu Peter and Yosef. Here you have a Baal Tosfos with the name Peter. Isn't that funny? Because Peter we always associate, obviously, with the New Testament, with the Apostle Peter. Uh, and uh, Jews don't usually have a name Peter. Uh, although, to be perfectly honest, in the Rishalmi, I've seen, if you ever look in the Gemara, people don't pay attention to these names. I have this quirk, I do. You know, Amrab so so bero so so sometimes see Petrus. Uh, nevertheless, it is funny. You have one of the Bali Tosis named Peter. And I can tell you right now, this really bothered um, one of my favorite historians, who was a quirky guy, Harry Zimmels, who wrote some very fine works. He used to be head of a Jewish college long ago. He's originally from Vienna. And he has an article way back when, I don't remember where in the JQR, about a two- or three-page article, what's the story with this guy, Rabbeinu Peter? He was an antiquarian. He liked these little details. And um, he's so bothered by the fact that you have a guy named Peter. I'm not bothered by it, but he was. He says, no, it's really Fater. Right? Fater. So in other words, his name was Abba. Do you have any friends named Abba? Sure you do. So the Hebrew will be Fater. That's a nice word, but it's not true. I mean, the guy's name was Peter. Get over it. He lived in the 12th century in France. The Jews in France had Geisha names, some of them. And uh, Rashi's daughter was named, uh, what was it again? Uh, his son-in-law was named Jocelyn. I'm kidding, I'm not kidding. Rashi's son-in-law was named Jocelyn. That's how they called him up in, in Aliyah. And the daughter was named Bellasis, which are French names. Now, uh, whoa, who gives the people a name like this? So if that's, you know, if Rashi's kids had names like that, so don't be surprised. Um, and anyway, so this pervaded Peter... Who, by the way, we should bow in respect for. He was killed as a martyr in the Second Crusade. Not many Jews were killed in the Second Crusade in 1147. But some were. So one of the students of Benetton was killed then. Which, of course, is very sad. And um, I think Benetton himself, if I remember, was beaten up. And uh, the point is that he answered, Dehishi Yeshua Kedusha Yochalimcho. A coin has, has a Kedusha, but he can be Michael and the Kedusha. Um, that's interesting too, really. So in other words, he can serve you because he's Michael on, on, on the Kedusha. Um, and he quotes over there, uh, that, uh, but he brings a certain Gemara Kedusha, I won't go into it. And the Taz says, if that's true, then why do you have a problem with uh, Manga Grusha? Let's say he's, he's on Michael and the Kuna. Like you hear sometimes, the Prince like this, I give up my Kahuna. <laughs> right, you ever hear that? Uh, nowadays you have some people Thank God it has happened, uh, I don't think, in Baltimore. But I have students who are rabbis around the country. 
some of them. And uh, I have heard about this in the Midwest and the South, you know, where a guy, it's a bummer, you know, you have a guy in Shulunov from particularly or whatever, and the guy wants to marry, you know, a Gioris or whatever, a Grusha, and basically so he says, I renounce my uh, kahuna. And you're the rabbi over there. Maybe he's the president of Shul. It's a bummer, you know. So, uh, here you go, you know. So the Taz says, what are you talking about? You can't do that. Uh, as you know, you can't uh, just say, I, I renounce my kahuna. Maybe in some Midwestern American synagogue you can do that. Take, but not really. And uh, so what do you do? What's the story? I mean, did Rabbeinu Tom really mean that nowadays if a Kohen's not wearing the garments, he's not a, uh, he's not a uh, Kohen? Uh, the guy, the one who has the best treatment of this, it's like a masterpiece, in my opinion, is, you won't be surprised to hear this, Archa Shulchan. I spoke about him a month or two or three months ago, whatever. When he's good, he's good. And if you go to the Archa Shulchan at the end of, um, of 128, you know, he has like seven or eight paragraphs, which he covers, in, in, in my opinion, of a clear and a masterful way. Barichas. And he goes to that story with Rabbeinu Tom and all the rest of it. And he makes a wonderful distinction, which goes to the heart. And I'm, and I, I'm sharing this to you. First of all, it's an interesting story. Second of all, it, it, it makes you um, think when you read the Parsha this week. Because of Akidash Toki Eslechem El Humakrif, right? That a coin can't marry this, that, and the other Akidash Toki, and you should be Makadashim. What's Mekdas? What do those words mean? And uh, I'll just read you this. Uh, a few lines from the Archa Shulchan over here, and I think he's wonderful. He says, Bira Advarim Kenhu. Here's how it goes. HaTorah Kitshas Kohanim Lavodis Beis HaMikdush Krom Kedoshim. The Torah was Makadish the Kohanim for the Beis HaMikdush, and the Torah says, Kedoshim Yilohem Kiasisha Hashem Elohim Akrivim Vohayu Kodesh. Those are the words you find in our parsha, right? Correct? So, um, that means that God was Makadish the gum, in addition to that, in addition to what I just said, God told us, the Jewish people, you guys, I'm a Kohen, you guys. So there are two psukim over there, right? One is, that God is Mekadosh them. And number two, secondly, you, the Jewish people, are Mekadosh them. Okay? That's one of the 613. Now, B'tzorach Beer. So the Archa Shulchan wonderfully says, let's analyze this. When you say God is Makadish something, he's God. He can do that. He can bestow Kedush on something. If you tell me God said like this, I zap you. The descendants of Aaron, I impose upon you, I zap you with Kedusha, and that this Kedusha will express itself, among other ways, with a prohibition to marry certain women, like a Grusha. Fine, Chopper. God can do that. But what about we, the Jewish people, you, the listeners? What does it mean, Bikidash, though? Let's say I'm talking to you out there, a Yisrael or, 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 or a Levi. You're Makadish me? How are you, Makadishmi? A human being. A human being can't impose Kedush on anybody. God can make Kedush on somebody. 
So the answer is, obviously what it means, ach pirusho, who, when it says you, the regular Jew, should be mekadesh the Kohen, it means, you should give him covered like a Kedushetika object. In other words, treat him as Kodesh. See what I said? It's a wonderful distinction. Almost something like from the Malbim, you know. When Hashem does, Hashem says Mikadesh, it means he is Mikadeshnem. He's making them sacred. But when it says you, Mikadeshnem, it means treat them as you would something that is sacred. Acknowledge what God did. Therefore, give the coin an extra covet and all the other things that go along with it, right? That's um, basically how he's saying it. And uh, that's why, you know, you give him all these alias. Well, if he's there, Hadavar Borer, Shem Masha Kodesh Baruch Kitsham, Ain Koch Bidam Lashanis. So a coin walks around um, endowed with two types of statuses, or two types of Kedusha, A and B. One is a Mamish Kedusha that God bestowed upon them. That is irrevocable. It's not moichalable. It can't forgive it. Ain Koch Bidam Lashanis. So if I say, I want to marry Grusha, and I renounce my kahuna, I don't have the power to renounce that kahuna. Because if God said that because I'm descended from Aaron, I get a certain status, I have a Kedusha, that's just part of who I am. It's not Xerus HaMelchi. God said that that's how it goes. The same way he says a Jew can't be Michal Shabbos. There's a Kohen can't marry Grusha. So I can't be Michal that. However, but the other type of Kedusha where it says the Jewish people should give them the respect that they would to a sacred object. So, that's a didn't cover, not the Kedusha. I keep repeating the words because I think it's a correct formulation. You're not Mekadesh me. You give me covered because I am a Kaddish Dika thing. You understand? So you give me the first aliyah, so to speak, and you give me to bench first, and you give me all these other types of things, right? Uh, you know, to eat first and so forth. Why? Because I have the other kedusha. But that kedusha that you're mechabed me is not the one that God imposed. What you give, okay? And that you're able to be michael because anything from one person or another, since it's coming from you, is a covet. It can be michael. Shafil or rav shemachal kvodu kvodu michael. Right? Uh, you know, Rebbe can also be Michael's covenant. Right? So, if I wanted to, I could say, you don't have to do it. And that's how, obviously, these two rabbis in the Yerushalmi could have a Cohen being their butler, because if he's willing to do it, he's Michael on it, then it's fine. But other things, not. That's, it's, it's just a very fine reading. And he goes on at, at greater lengths. I don't want to uh, spend the whole time on it. And he try and he and he um, gives a very fine uh, interpretation of the Rabbeinu Tam story. In other words, it wasn't Shasak Rabbeinu Tam. Rabbeinu Tam shut up because he had nothing to re- retort. It's 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 something altogether different. You know, it's um, does Rabbeinu Tam want to act like he's a a, a big Tam Chacham? And well, you, you read it yourself if you're interested in this subject. I just gave you a nice assignment. I mean, it's not a bad thing. It's not that long. And uh, on Shabbos or whatever, you open up. In the end, Archa Shulch in the end of 128, Kuf in Archaim, and you'll see uh, some nice stuff, if you, especially if you're a coin, but even if you're not. Um, so that's the kind of thing we have in this week's Parsha. But 
I have to tell you something. Um, this morning, uh, I'm not into Hasidic literature much. A little bit, not really. And this morning when I came down, I always do a little bit of Musa every day. You know, three, four minutes, not too much. And I was going to pull out the Pelioites. That's an easy one. And when I did, it was uh, it looked for some reason it was right behind another book. I had to take the other book out. Turn that's the Degel Machna Ephraim, which is a classic Hasidic uh, sefer. Uh, Degel Machna Ephraim. It's one of the classic Hasidic Shesmarim. And last year, two years ago, because they came out, I was in Lakewood once, because they came out with all these nice new editions, which is what they're doing now. Putting out all the classic Hasidic um, books from the late 1700s, early 1800s in this uh, format, you know, and it's Manukad, you know, I like always like that. It's called Pe'er Mikdoshim, this set. He did the Tanya. He did a lot of things. I'm still waiting for him to do the uh, Toldus Yaakov yesterday. That's the one I like. But I got the Degel Machna Ephraim with the Nakudas. And uh, so, you know, I said to myself, nothing happens by uh, coincidence. And even though I would never look in here, I'm going to take it out and take a look. What does he have in Parshish Emor? What the heck? And, um, Something very interesting, and because let me put it this way: the parsha of the week is a parsha of the week, which by which I mean the following. And you notice this is true: you don't notice things unless they're gear to you, unless you're willing, to, unless you're interested in buying a car. You don't listen to the car advertisements, right? But when you do, all of a sudden, you notice all the advertisements. You, you tune in when you hear them on the on the radio. When you're interested in real estate or something like that, you notice all these uh, ads in the paper. When you're not interested, you skim and buy. It's not no gear to you. Right? It's a natural tendency of a person that you kind of zero in on something that's no gear right now. And the reason I say it is the following. He has over here the Degel Machna Ephraim, who's a grandson of the Baal Shem Tov, by the way, that uh, on Amor, in a very Hasidic way, super Hasidic way, and um, Amor for obviously the word Amira, Omer, and uh, he quotes a Medish Rabbah, because it is interesting, it doesn't say Vaidaber, you know, it says Amor, you and I know Rashi says Emerald Conan, what's it, Hazar Gadol Malkatana, but I'm talking about, you know, Emer Vamarta. I'm talking about other Medrash which says, Imrus Hashem Amaris Tahoros. There is a Medrash that's, that starts like that, Medrash in fact, which means the sayings of the Lord are pure. So what does that mean? Uh, and he has a very interesting and Hasidic way of, of explaining it, which means the following. Uh, the Torah is, you can have a bad decree. If you know how to rearrange the words, it can make it a good decree. If something bad happens, God decreed it. Nothing happens without God making it happen. And uh, that means Hashem said this person becomes sick, or this land will have a corona, or this place will have an earthquake, or something like that, you know, right? A tsunami, a war. So God said, let this be. So God used words, whatever that means. He used words. But in their original source, since God is all good, so those words actually, in the original formulation, and I'm speaking words not in the supernal sense, uh, they were good. But because Hashem wanted that they should have some bad effect down here, so by the time those words transmogrified and came down to earth in the form of letters or whatever, uh, because when they're in heaven there are no letters, um, they came out bad. But if you know what to do, Imr Sashem was a tzaddik. Remember, Degel Machafrayim is from the early generation of the Hasidic literature. The Hasidic Rebbe can do anything. 
just like the time of the Nirmal Melech. He can do anything. It's a mason. You know, he can have Hashem do whatever he wants. I'm going to just a basic Yisod of theirs. And uh, so what he says is that you can take words and flip them if you're a tzaddik and make something that was bad to come good. For example, if it says a person is mace, you can change it. Instead of memself, make a tom that will probably be perfect. And here's the one. And if it says there'll be a nega, you can make it into an onig. You know, nun line, you can switch it to ayin nun gimel. Move the words around. Imrus Hashem, Amaris Amtrufus. You can look it up yourself if you want. And uh, and he says there were famous Hasidic rabbis in Zasel and place like that, that there were going to be bad things, and they flipped it by rearranging the words through their tfilos, and they made it good. Now, that's the uh, the, the basic point he had, which is very interesting. Like I say, I, I, I just ha- um, highlighted this morning, because nega to oneg, I mean, that's that's what we're holding now, you know. Nega, you wanted the the, the, the corona nega uh, to switch to oneg, to something pleasant or good. But it's more than that. Now, that's what he says. Now, whenever I read these things, I can't help because I'm not Hasidic, you know. So what I end up doing is reinterpreting it as I understand it. So this is just me, you know. Uh, I have to try to uh, reconfigure it. Mom is doing what he just said. Imr Sashem I have to take the Hasidic Misa or Vart and understand it as best as I can. Right? I can't understand exactly the way Dave did. It's just fascinating to me to switch something from Nega to Onig. And I'll tell you why I say that. Uh, I have to do with people now because I'm in this business of mine, the rabbi business. A lot of people are um, suffering in this uh, nega uh, mentally. No, it's depressed. There's a lot of people have trouble over there. And there's a natural tendency that a lot of people have to say, if this is happening to me, and these are from people, happens to me, it's a punishment for my sins. Now I'm catching it for what I did when I was 30 years old. Now I'm catching it for what I did when I was in high school. Now I'm catching it for you know, what I did when I'm 32, 45 what I did to my wife, what I did to my kids, why I cheated on somebody. I don't know. Now, in one respect, it's actually a very pious thing. But as the Baal Shem Tov is famous for saying, it doesn't work nowadays. That's the age of hard talking. Because if you start to assign that way of thinking to yourself and to see, you know, like, there's a guy you know has a low-level uh, a corona, frankly. And, uh, you know, he's, and he's all down. Uh, because he's, you know, signing it to past sins. That doesn't work. You have to fight it. Uh, when you're in facing a, a physical ailment, the simcha, the, the, the positive attitude, as we say today, is a very important part of the therapy. Any doctor will tell you that. Um, I know people, you know people, they can be healthy, but if they start thinking real bad about themselves, they'll die. There have been cases like that. Um, you, know, you just give up. I mean, I'll give you a radical example, even though it's not the same thing at all. But in World War II, my father, who was in Shavel and in the ghetto in Shavel in Lithuania, he had this brother-in-law, the two married sisters, and the guy was Fisher. His name was Fisher. He was a very fine person, very nice person, and somehow they survived until they got to the concentration camp. And when he got in the concentration camp, it was such a horror, you understand, that the guy died within 24 hours. Nothing happened to him. Nobody hit him. He wasn't starving. He just checked out. You understand? Because you, moms lose the will to live. I'll say it again. You know, it wasn't because of anything physical happened to him, but he died. You see? Because of the extremes. So what's necessary is to turn the neg into onig. 
you have to be able to find something good. You find the positive way of responding to this. And you have to summon forth when yourself or others have to help you uh, to find a way to uh, flip the negativity. So Mamash, what he's saying in the Degel Machem Frame, you have to take, you know, the bad and, and make it into the good. Now he says that's the province of the Tzaddik, meaning the Hasidic Rebbe. Yes, in a Kabbalistic way, that's true. But on a practical sense, you're not a Degel Machem Frame, or you're not a Hasidic Rebbe. So what do you do? So you have to do it. You know what I'm saying? And what you have to say is everything may be a challenge, all the rest of it, but the Yitzhah wants to do is start concentrating on the negativity. What the Yitzhah Tov says is, concentrate on the positivity. Look for the, uh, try to get a simcha so that you'll get past this and you'll survive this whole business. And then you'll deal with the other issues in the past or, as we say today, try to carry on as many mitzvahs or make as positive a contribution to help other people as you can. You know what I'm saying? Because you, you know, dealing with the past is something you do when you're perfectly healthy. You know what I just said? Dealing with the past is something you do when everything else is good and you are physically healthy as well as mentally healthy. You don't deal with the past when you don't have your physical health, and you don't deal with the past when you don't have your mental health. That's a big yisod. Even Rishol Salanta would tell you that. Okay? There's a time for everything, and you don't let this stuff, you know, uh, uh, cause you to crash. Because that's not the good side of you telling you what to do. That's the bad side. That's the horror. You know? Yitzhar wants you to crash. And uh, to me, that's the big yisod I, I took out of reading this this passage in Tegel Mach But how do you do that? It's These are cliches. Now, one of the interesting things about the corona situation is it's challenged um, our, our general frameworks. How does one do what I just said? Which is, you know, live a good life or, uh, you know, get into the positivity. Uh, in this day and age, uh, in our time, um, you need a framework. The old frameworks have, uh, have fallen by the wayside. You know, used to have long ago, in Parshish Emmer time, you had a base of Migdash, you had Kohanim, you had formal structures, you had Shvatim. That's all gone long ago. Afterwards, you had Kehillahs, uh, which were really autonomous, coercive Kehillahs. So that was some kind of a structure also. That's all gone. So nowadays in America, elsewhere, but I'm talking about America, where I live, you have to have like voluntary structures. Right? The, you know, there's no formal structures. And uh, what's really interesting to me in terms of the crisis that we're going through now is you see that there, in, in my lifetime, and I'm even obviously in the last 30 years, I've seen um, a couple of structures have just developed and gotten pretty hard and solid um, that have worked for a lot of people to keep them uh, on the derrick, so to speak and help with the positivity. And these are the ones that have been impacted by the coronavirus. Uh, when I was a kid, a lot of people didn't go to show. And, you know, you skip meetings all the time and things like that. Because that's part of life. You know, you did the best you could. I've seen in the last 25, 30 years, people take meetings very seriously. And that's a good thing. I mean, it's a, it's a Akshadora. Uh, I'm in a position to make this historical judgment. I see a lot of young people, especially, it's something that they stress, I guess, in the schools. Uh, when I was a kid, the day schools, at least half the class wasn't from anyway, so, you know, it wasn't a question to make everybody get a million, they ain't going to keep Shabbos. Nowadays, the sociology has changed, and in our schools, most of the kids are, are if not all, are Shabbos, 
So then, then, then the front moves not to avoid violating Shabbos, but make sure you you're done with the minion. And uh, there are quite a number of kids I know who uh, and adults now are trying to imitate that they don't miss a minion. Period. And you see that this and it's got hardwired. And if you live in the community, you know you have your show, and this is where you dumb chakras, and that's where you do mincha and marv, and people do that, and that's a great thing. And then comes this corona business, and you know all that falls apart. You see, it's it's just interesting to me that so many people, incorrectly, but nevertheless, so many people are trying to make minions. Like <laughs> when I was a kid, people said, "Oh, there's no minion, great." And now you find people are are are, are you know going like the Spanish Inquisition, making secret minions. So you see. The, the framework of the base Knesset, of the base Medish, of Dominion, got hardwired as one of the things that helps you uh, stay, you know, uh, in a positive Jewish framework. It's, it's interesting. And the other one is what I would call, gener- using a general term, the dafiomi. Uh And I don't do the dafiomi, but uh, it's a, a great thing because, as you know, it puts you in that framework. Now, our kids are getting into it. Puts in framework that you go every day, um, and it gives you that kavias. Uh, 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 now, by the way, there's also Mishnah Yomis, and all these, there are a lot of other Yomis things, and they're, and they're all good. You know, not everybody's for the Daf Yomi, some people for something else. But the key point is you get into a, into a schedule. It becomes part of your schedule. That's how modern men operates. We move from schedule to schedule. Whatever your job is, you always have to have your day mapped out. You have to have your week mapped out. So if you don't have a special time set aside for something specific in terms of learning, then, you know, it's a TV, you know, something like that. And so, um, these are the things that have been most heavily impacted by the corona. It's so interesting. Um, and once again, you see that people are really trying. It's just uh, sociologically, I find it fascinating. People are trying to uh, rally uh, in, in face of this crisis, and that's the Zoom. Right? You know, they do their serum by the Zoom, they adopt for you by the Zoom, I got a bunch of people that come in every day to listen to the Zoom. I don't think it's because I'm eloquent or anything like that. So I'm not. I think people just want a framework. You know, this is the closest thing you have now to dominating with a minion today. You know, you get together in your show, hear something from the rabbi, whatever, and uh, nobody envisioned it, but this becomes Vikidash uh, Toki, you know, your Makadish it, not him in this case, but it. Uh, and it's just uh, our response, as it were. To, uh, to these crises. And so, um, the key element becomes, why did I think about this? I'll tell you why. Because the Pasuk says something uh, interesting, you know, the way the Hebrew doesn't work. And Rashi comments on it. It says, uh, how's it go? Uh, I repeat, how do you translate that? To a soul, meaning to a dead body, it should be Ba'amo, not Ba'amov. Amo means his people. Amov means his peoples. Ha'amim shalo, Amov. Right? Basic Hebrew. Why does it say that? Now, because it's the wrong grammar, the Chazal have their Agadic, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Halachic interpretation. It's Halachic Medrash, which Rashi quotes and said, well, not a Mace Mitzvah, you know. The coin can do a Mace Mitzvah. Uh, Okay, I mean, I get that, but that's not the shot in the Pasuk. What does it mean, Ba'amov? And I'll tell you what, I, to me, Ba'amov means um, frameworks, right? Frameworks. Um, if you're together with a bunch of other people, 
then it works. Lenefesh lo yitama. How do you stay? How do you stay? Not being tame, as it were. How do you avoid the bad stuff in life? You have to have amav. You have to have frameworks. Um, you have to find yourself in in, in groups. It's a group for the davening. It's another group for the learning. It could be a third group. By the way, there are plenty of other frameworks out there. Uh, some people find their Yiddishkeit working in the Shomrim. And some people, I mean it. And some people find their Yiddishkeit working in the Misaskim and, uh, you know, all those different organizations and groups. They do. In Baltimore, you have obviously Israel. You know, you have different uh, Tzedakah situations. Uh, it's Amov. Right? It's, it, it's a framework. Nobody can be, uh, you can't say, lo um, which the Pasuk could have said. Because uh, if you don't have the Amov, then it ain't going to work. You have to have others that are doing the same thing you do. And it's part of a schedule. So uh, it's interesting because the, the Pasuk, of course, is talking about Kohanim 3,000 years ago. Today, we're talking about regular people. Uh, and uh, we're not, and it's, and it's nowadays. But the principle that the Jewish religion depends on some kind of communal framework is as old as time and is as new in time. Most people are not going to learn if they don't have some kind of either Dafyomi or some similar type of framework. It's going to be Ma'amov. It could happen, possibly, but it's not going to happen most of the time. Most people are not going to dominate if they don't have those kind of frameworks. Most people are not going to keep the mitzvahs that they keep if they don't have these kind of frameworks. This is why we always work as hard as we can to build communities. And that's why any Kehillah work is uh, is very, very important. It's a supreme, a supreme value. That's why Ezra Nechemi invented uh, public prayer as a communal thing, even though there's a lot of rote involved and you might not be having full uh, kavanah all the time. But uh, the, the, the the fact that you have the Kehillah and the framework in Ms. Garrett is what's going to do there. And so you end up, and I leave you with the message, Emoral Kohanim B'nai Aram, L'Nefesh Lo Make sure that uh, you don't stay Tomei, and I'm not talking about the original Tuma, but you know you want to stay uh, Jewish, Ba'amov. But you have to have a framework, not just a, fra- you know, a single one, but multiple ones. And um, anyway, that's a couple of thoughts I had, which I think are very no gay. I hope, as I said before, I don't know, I'm hoping that in the not-too-distant future, we'll be looking at reviving some of these. Uh, it looks like they turned a corner. Now, I could be totally wrong, and maybe I'll eat my words, but I hope not, uh, and I think not. And I think before too long, we're going to be the uh, Amov, but but with the new social distancing, the new normal as it'll be. You know, you'll have, you'll have people in, in synagogue buildings, but there'll be all kind of rules and regulations and special limitations. Let's see what happens. Anyway, have a good job. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.